Today we're going to continue in our series on faith. We're going to be looking in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is, is a, um, Hebrews 11 is a, a book of the Bible that you probably can't read too much. And so I would encourage you, if you're looking just to kind of stir somewhere, somewhere to start, you can read Hebrews 11 and get a glimpse about what faith has looked like through all the generations of the church up until, up until the men who were writing it, or possible woman who was writing it. And, um, you get to see all the different expressions and you get to see all the obstacles that were over, overcome. But there's this trend. You see that they, there was, uh, faith offers. And then you see that faith obeys. And then you see that faith overcomes. And, and so I would encourage you, read that and let that inspire you. It would be a great way to just start your day. If you're looking for a, a new routine to start your day, I, I would re- recommend Hebrews chapter 11. You can crank it out faster than you can eat a piece of toast. And so uh, I do recommend that. We're going to stay on our series on faith. And we're looking at Hebrews 11 verses 5 and 6. And we're going to be looking at the life of Enoch. Enoch is a really interesting character. We were introduced to Enoch in Genesis. So way back in the very beginning when, when uh, the, the Genesis account is taking us through the genealogies and introducing us to uh, the patriarchs and the, and the descendants of Adam and Eve, there's this little side note about this guy named Enoch. It says that Enoch walked with God and then he was not for God took him. Now, if you've never read the genealogies because you're, they're boring and you've missed this gem. You've missed this gem. You also missed some other gems all throughout it that that give hints about how old people were and what the generations were like and who was married to who. And it all sets up Jesus coming in the proper line to fulfill the promises that God made that a Messiah would come, a deliverer would come. And it all started back in Genesis chapter 3. But in Genesis chapter 4, we see that this guy Enoch walked with God and that he was not, for God took him. It's like, what on earth happened to this guy who was and then was not? The, the language hints to us that he was translated, that God just took him up to himself. And, um, you know, it, it, in the word that he took them to himself is a word that is later used to describe marriage. It, it means that they, they were so close that God took him to himself to be a possession to him and to belong to him and to be so close to him because of the value that he had. Now, one of the other interesting things we learn about Enoch is that he lived to be like 365 years old, which is kind of old. Right? And, and you know, uh, a modern mind, we would read this and be like, that's impossible. People don't live that long. Except for when they did live that long. Is would be my response to that uh, opposition. What I love about the Bible is that it keeps those kinds of things that bother us in it. For anybody who's worried about whether or not translations have been changed throughout the generations, they haven't because we go back to the source texts, as many of the source texts as we can find, and they've been able to piece everything together, and then we continue to write this thing down, even though nobody in this room believes that people are going to live for 365 years. Right? I mean, right? We don't believe that that's going to happen. And it's not because we, it's not because we also believe that there are, there are some natural limitations. In fact, people started living 70 to 80 years by the time David came around. That, that was the average life expectancy, somewhat similar to what we have now in that region of the world. And so you see that you, you get to see when it talks about Enoch, you find this gem that, okay, so things were different then. So how do you wrestle with that? And I, just as a side note, I want to help you wrestle with things in the Bible that don't seem that make very much sense to us because it doesn't, it seems to violate how we understand things to work. I just want to encourage you that, um, I, I hold on to the truth of scripture and I ask God, what are you trying to communicate to me here? I don't quite get the facts. What are you trying to communicate to me with this 365? And I think it's 360. Could somebody look that? I gotta, 
keep saying the number. I feel like I'm going to get it wrong. Um, but he, um, God, what are you trying to communicate to me? Is it the age that's important? Is it the number that's important? What is the thing that's so important right here that, that you let that information in it? And sometimes it's just affirming the facts that it was there. Sometimes it's just affirming that it was actually a person or that it actually happened or so that you can understand the relationship between them. Or you can figure out that this person was still on the earth when when this other person was on the earth. So they would have seen each other. It's kind of cool. Noah was probably on the earth at the same time that Abraham was on the earth. And we learn those kinds of things in the genealogy. So they're, they're super helpful. Just a side note about how long they lived. Uh, there, there's a belief, and this is a scientific belief that was discovered, that because the, we believe that there was a, a membrane of water above the earth, it messed with the UV rays, so people weren't getting baked by the sun the same way we're baked by the sun. And because they weren't getting baked by the sun, their, their genes responded differently to the environment. Um, different layers of the, the mud and everything else says that at that time that we believe this great flood happened, everything was tropical. And then the waters opened up, and a flood came and the waters came from below. Scientists found in the last 20 years that there is water below the continents. And so water came down and came up from the bottom. And, and there we are. And so what we have is what we have are these cues, these hints about about how things were. And so life was different then. So they lived longer then. OK, so that's that's it about genealogies. You ready for the message? So, so let's look at Hebrews chapter 5 and 11, 5 and 6. Can you stand with me to pray and to read this? We'll read this together. It'll be on the screen behind me. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken... He was commended as of having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is God's word to his father in the name of Jesus. I just want to say we love you. And I ask that you would come and open up our ears to hear something fresh and inspiring by your Holy Spirit today. That we would be stirred to action in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about the pleasing life that we have in faith. And I want to talk about how the pleasing life is committed. It gets commended. And it will be compensated. It starts off and it says that by Something Enoch was taken up so that he should see, he should not see death. And we know that it's by what? By faith that Enoch was, was, um, was taken up so that he should not see death. I want to point out that it wasn't by a gluten-free diet. It wasn't a pescatarian thing. It was not a paleo thing. It was by faith that he was taken up and didn't see death. His faith and trust in God alone is the thing that allowed him to not taste the pain of death. It wasn't any of these other things that we look to to help us avoid death. He found it in God and in God alone. His certainty, his trust, his fortitude, his strength, his power, his provision, his life was found in God. And he walked with God. What an amazing thing. He was so committed to God that he walked alongside of him. I want to say that you, you are committed to something this morning. 
You came in committed to something this morning, and I had this really convicting thought as I was praying this morning. I thought, I, I thought, what, I wonder what it is that I'm committed to. What is it that I'm actually committed to? And I, I had this thought. I was like, I should probably ask Megan what she thinks I'm actually committed to, because she's probably got a, a more honest version of how I think I am. I took one of those personality profile tests the other day, and uh, you know, like for for the workplace, and I'm like, oh, what kind of person do I want to be? <laughs> what kind of results do I want here? They were like, do you like being around people or despise people? I'm like, I like to think that I like being around people. So I'll pick all the happiest ones. And it came off and it's like, I'm the most friendly, happiest guy ever that's ever lived. If I had been more honest, to be like, I don't I want to be alone. <laughs> I need quiet. You know, I want to do it alone. <laughs> but God puts us in family. But we, <laughs> but the people around us can tell us sometimes more honestly who we are than, than we think of ourselves because we like to skew it in, in our own mind. Somebody called me this week and they were, they were ranting about what somebody else was doing to them in their life. And I was like, I've seen you do the same exact thing. It just felt right when you were the one doing it. <laughs> so you want to fight? <laughs> it hurts, doesn't it? We got to take inventory of our lives and ask questions about how is it that I'm living and what, you know, a great way to see what, what we're committed to is you can check your calendar and you can check your, your credit card statements or your, your bank statements. And that'll, that'll give you a pretty honest view of what you're committed to. What are you driving to? What do you sacrifice for? What do you, what do you get things up for? What do you say no to other things for so that you can do that thing? That'll tell you what you're committed to. And it's not always a pleasant uh, discovery when you figure out the things that you're committed to. Oftentimes we're, we're in relationships and we think that we're committed to that person, but really we're committed to ourselves because that person makes us feel good. Burn. Right? Like we, we're like, I'm committed to this mission, but it turns out the mission also gives you a paycheck. So it's not necessarily the mission. It's the paycheck that comes with the mission. And, and we, sometimes we need to take stock of what's happening in our heart and our mind and what motivates us so that we can agree with what God's doing so that we can make sure that nothing takes the place that he belongs in. It's so easy to allow so many other things to take God's place in our heart and mind. And it's just, it's so subtle. We don't even, we don't even realize that it's happened. I was at a uh, leadership seminar recently, and one of the things that they did, they did this exercise. They were like, write down your favorite color, write down your name, write down your favorite place, uh, write down your faith, write down, um, you know, someone who's (laughs) important to you. And then something else, like something that you're, that you, that you dream about, something that motivates you every day. And so we wrote them down. They said, okay, now you're on a, you're, you're on a desert island. Your life is being threatened and you need to forsake one of them. Which one do you forsake? Oh, ethnicity was the last thing. Which one do you forsake? It was like, everybody's like, they got rid of their first, their favorite color real, real quick. And then it's like, now something else. And people are like, uh, I'll get rid of my name. You can call me whatever you want to call me. I'll forsake my name. And then it started getting really tough, right? You know, it's like, we kept our favorite foods longer than we kept our names. And (laughs) so we kept, (laughs) I don't know what that says about us. I did notice that we used, we talked about food four times before I got up today. And that really, I'm just, that made me so proud. I was was like, come on family, let's go get lunch. (laughs) Uh, um, So, so then, but then, you know, 
they, they took it all the way to the end so that the last thing was the thing that you value and cherish the most. But at the end, you know, it, it was, it was kind of like everybody was having to forsake their spouse for their faith or, or many people forsake their, their faith early because it didn't really mean much to them. But, but you're committed to things and, and that activity, they were just doing that to reveal that, hey, you've got commitments that you don't even realize motivate you every single day. Make sure that you lean into those commitments that you have. Thankfully, we have a faith that doesn't cause us to have to forsake our families. We've got a faith that teaches us how to really be more and and to redeem our families. And so that's not something that we'll do. That's one of the lessons that's nested in Abraham and Isaac when he goes up on the mountain to sacrifice him. That's God kind of saying, hey, you're not going to have to lose your family to have me. And so we have a God who serves us in that way, who, who, who serves us in a sense in that way and that he makes family more than it ever could have been without him. But we, we are committed to something. You do serve something or someone. All of us do. It's just a matter of who that is. And in this case, it was God and he walked with God and his walk with God was such that he was, his walk was commended. People saw him and they were like, man, that's, that man knows God. He's, he's staying with God. He moves with God. Have you ever, you just, you hear somebody pray and you're like, that's somebody who's not praying for the first time. That's somebody who has a relationship with God. They're just so comfortable with him and they, they're comfortable knowing him and, and with his vocabulary. I love, I love it when somebody's really comfortable in their Bible. I also love it if you're uncomfortable in your Bible. It's cool. Like, but, but when people are like, oh yeah, there's, you know, they just know where things are in their Bible. You know, it's like, oh man, I just, they, they can go to Psalms and, and they can celebrate because they've got these Psalms. Maybe, maybe Megan was telling somebody the other day, she's like, I love Psalm 27 and started talking about how she loves Psalm 27. It's not, we don't just talk about Psalms on Sunday mornings, right? Like that was just a normal everyday kind of middle of the day conversation with some people. And it was like, man, Psalm 27 really inspires me and it motivates me and it gets me going. And I'm like, go ahead, knowing the Bible and liking it on Friday. (laughs) Right? Right? So we ought to, we ought to be comfortable with it. The reason I'm, I'm, I'm happy if, if you're uncomfortable with it is that that means that you're at least touching it enough to be uncomfortable with it. It means it's a, it's in your hand and I like it in your hands. I like it when you, when you're, when you're holding the Bible or when you're praying, even if it's awkward because you're holding the Bible and you're praying. I like it when you don't, like, I'm, I'm, I, I don't want you to be uncomfortable with it and, and, it, you know, continued use and continued walking it out is the thing that you can do so that you won't be uncomfortable with it. And so you'll learn it just like you learn everything else. But, but I like it when, when we take the risk and we take the chance and we lay hold of it and we risk looking a little bit awkward because all of this is worth knowing. It's worth cherishing. It's worth treasuring. Um, have you ever, have you, have you had the privilege yet? Of experiencing the commendation and the pleasure of God's presence. Not, not like, I mean, like this morning might have been that moment for you for the first time during worship where you were like, I sense the presence of God. My heart is being stirred. I'm hearing his voice. He's, he's doing something. He's rewriting things in my heart and my mind. God's up to something. Maybe this morning was that first time. I'm not talking about just like, oh, that was a good quiet time. I'm talking about the kind that, that brings you, brings you to tears and that you never forget. Like ratatouille. When the guy at the very end of the movie, the food critic, eats that ratatouille, there's food again, and, and, and his, his whole face drops, and he's like, man. Have you yet had that experience? And if you haven't yet, I want to encourage you that it's worth seeking after, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. And if you've already had it, don't stop, because 
We never stop. That's a song. Can't stop, won't stop. It's about pursuing Jesus. It's a song about loving God with all of your heart. (laughs) Just telling you (laughs) a redemptive version of that song. Don't listen to it if you don't know what I'm talking about. Just take my word for it. (laughs) Don't ruin a good illustration with the truth. (laughs) And then the author goes on this little sidebar. And here we are again without something. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Can we read that with some conviction? Let's just read this together. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. I love it. We memorized it as God. And so when you change versions, even when we read it this morning, everybody said God, even though it said him, tricked you. <laughs> he goes on this little sidebar, the author does. And it feels like, it feels like, well, how do these two thoughts line up? It's almost as if he said he was commended. He was commended and then got taken up to God. And I don't know about you, but our hearts should stir to go, I want to be commended and I want to be taken up to God. And so the author anticipating that stirring and anticipating that hunger and that desire goes, hey, let me tell you how you can get that commendation. Let me tell you how you can get taken up to him and how you cannot taste death. It's going to be by faith that you're commended and it's going to be by faith that you're brought in and it's going to be by faith that you don't taste death. And so he takes this sidebar and says it's by faith. And then he goes on to describe these two minimum qualities or characteristics of this faith that are required to to experience the commendation that comes, the reward that's coming. And and these two things are that you must believe that he is, not just that he was or might be sometime, that he was, he is, and he always will be. There There is never a time that he isn't going to be. And that's the nature of our God. We must believe that he is. It's that's like the baseline. Because before you can ask him for anything, you, you, you're presupposing that he's there. Some of us, if we've grown up in a Christian home, you've grown up with the presupposition that, that God is, that he exists. Based on your, based on your upbringing, you've got a presupposition about how God is. What kind of God is he? Is he merciful and loving? Is he just? Is he kind? Is he caring? Is he compassionate? Is he angry and hateful and spiteful and incomplete? Will he just leave you out there and let you hang? Let you, let you rot? Let, let you stay where you are with no consideration for your condition? Depending on your upbringing, you've, you've got a, a presupposition that you bring to it. Some people believe that everybody starts believing in God and it's the choice to resist him. I, I agree with that. Because just about every atheist I've ever, I've ever talked to talks about a time when their, the, the, the belief in God was violated. And so it's not that God, it's not that they, they never believed in God. It's that they, there should be a God. They hoped for a God, but something happened that proved to them that this God either isn't real or doesn't love them. And that's the unfortunate side effect of living in a fallen world. And so to deal with the presuppositions that we bring to scripture and the ideas that we bring to who God is. So he's like, great, you must believe that God is, but you got to believe that at least he's a certain kind of way. And the author goes on, he says, and he's a rewarder. Have you ever thought of God as a rewarder? 
Now, I know we want to be careful. I, I, I know we want to be sensitive about this because, because there are pastors asking for jet planes and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be a part of, <laughs> like, you don't want to be, uh, you know, like, it's like, we, well, let's be careful. God doesn't give us anything. But that's a pendulum and an overcorrection and it, 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 uh, it, it drags down the name of God to not know him as a rewarder because that's a name that he gave himself in scripture. He is a rewarder. Now he's the one who determines the, the reward. Right? And, and we gotta make sure that we, that we make sure that we understand love and mercy and compassion and understand that we're not supposed to be lakes, we're supposed to be reservoirs that, that give, we're supposed to pass things through to be a blessing to the world. The church is God's plan A, which means you are plan, God's plan A to show His compassion and mercy and love to the world. That, that by your resources, by your giftings, by your skills, by your strengths, even by your weaknesses, you show the love, the mercy, and the power of God in and through your life. And so we see, so we see that He's a rewarder. Um, in Jeremiah 29, we learn that, we learn that he's a, he's, uh, he says, you, if you, when you seek me, he says, you will seek me and when, and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. In those moments, I feel reading that I I feel two emotional responses. I feel guilty that I haven't sought him the way I believe he's worth seeking after. And I feel stirred and hopeful about what's possible if I would seek him. What we have to do is we have to take that first feeling and put it at the foot of the cross and say, it's not about how I, what I've done or what I haven't done but it's about who you are and what you've done on my part, on my behalf. So that we put that feeling of, oh, I shoulda, coulda, woulda to death. And we grab hold of, this is possible in you. I've tried so many times, or I'm going to try again. I, I did it and failed. I'm, I'm coming after you, Jesus. I'm going to seek you. Now, the difference between searching and seeking is like, if I'm searching for the TV remote, I stop looking when I find it because it would be silly to keep looking for something that you found. The seeking that we do of God is not something that we find God and then we stop the search. It's like once you've, once you've found him and you've, you, you recognize his voice and you recognize his face and you recognize his, the, the gaze that he has into your soul and giving you life and meaning and purpose and saying, come on, come on. When you hear that voice, you want to start looking for it everywhere. It's like, God, I want to find you in, in the happiest of places. And God, I'm going to find you in the hardest of places. God, I'm going to seek you out in, in the easiest of places and in the tough of, toughest of places. I'm going to find you in where you're at work in my workplace, God. I'm going to find you where you're at work in my family. I'm going to find you where you're at work in my fitness. I'm going to find you where you're at work in my finances. I'm going to find you and I'm going to seek you out in all of these places. And you promise that if I seek you out in these places, I'll find you in these places. Now, there are some places that God would rather you not seek him in. Do you, 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 I need to talk about those? 
Okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm, you won't find him in that other woman. You will not find him with that other man. You will not find him in that romance novel. You will not find him on ESPN. You will not find him checking out from the responsibilities that you have and running from the things that he's called you to do. That's not where we'll find him. So if you're going to seek after him, my recommendation is that we would seek after him in places that we could expect to find him, in places that he would be pleased to be found, in places that you would be pleased to find him. Because the, the cool thing about the seeking out of God is that while we think we're the ones seeking him out, he's the one just kind of walking around. He's like, I'm right here. I'm, I'm right here. I'm right here. Hey, I'm right here. Hey, I'm right here. There's a place that he wants to be found and there's a place that, that is, gr- is great to find him. I seek him out in, in, in you all. I seek him out in, in, in my personal devotion time, reading the Bible and, and in prayer and in worship. I seek him out. Uh, I, I seek him out with relationships. I seek him out in small groups. I seek him out by calling somebody and saying, hey, I'm, I'm struggling today. I'm having a hard day. Can you help me with some faith perspective? Because I'm, I'm having a hard time finding where God's at work. Or sometimes it's like, I see where God's at work and I just don't want to deal with it right now. Can you help me deal with the fact that God's at work in a place that I don't want him to be working on? Because I think I'm fine right there. Anybody else share that testimony? I think I'm fine right there. If the idea of receiving, so, so we seek him, we find him, and he's the reward. He's the reward. And, and I, I, I'm disappointed with myself about how uninspired I am for that when I want to eat a third hamburger. You know, when you want to do that last thing, you're like, oh, oh, no, no, I can have Jesus. Or that guy. I could have Jesus. Right now, I could have Jesus or that movie. Come on. I'm speaking of the most inappropriate of movies. But it could also, it could also be, you know, there, there's a time where good things even become bad because they're standing in the way of something that God has for you. And, and you can, you can parse that out. This is not, I'm not saying, I, I watch movies. I enjoy movies. I, I enjoy, I enjoy life. I enjoy good food. But there's a place where those things can get in the way of seeking God. Cause I've, I've got enough hours in my week to chase after God. You know what I figured out is that I, I looked it up this week when we were reading the book of Luke. Somebody, somebody estimates that the whole Bible can be read out loud in 70 hours. And so I was thinking, maybe, maybe that's our next around the clock challenge. <laughs> and so we need to, we need to just, we just need to do it. Just have somebody in, in, in the office just reading the Bible out loud the whole time. I call not it on the genealogies. <laughs> Right? You're like, <laughs> begat, <laughs> and they lived in that place, and Puva, and Tola, and Hezron, and <laughs> it's complicated real fast. So, I don't know. If, if we, we might have to do that. Just read the Bible and time it. Just see how long it takes. But that was really convicting. I'm like, if you can read it out loud in 70 hours, I should be able to finish it in my head real quick, right? So just a thought. But when we seek him, oh, so, so sometimes, sometimes uh, seeking him and, and him being the reward, we're like, eh, I could use something like money. And, and 
I, I would prefer something like money. And so that's what I'm going to seek off instead. But, but I think what we have is, is, a, is a heart check issue. And if, if the idea of having Jesus as the reward when you seek him in his presence being the thing that you're, you, you win when you seek after him, you may have, you may have settled for religion. You, you may have just, you may have just settled for structure instead of a faith that can be alive instead of the power of God in your life. You, you might just have a pattern of God in your life, like a, a something for God to use, something for God to work with, but missing the person himself. Uh, there, I, I, if I had time, I'd, I'd read the entire New Testament to you. <laughs> That's the reality. I would talk about all the people in Jesus's ministry who sought after him, you know, just in the gospels, like take Mark, for example, if you want somewhere else to read, read the book of Mark. It's fast paced, uses the word immediately, like a thousand times, not literally, but he's like immediately, immediately, immediately. Like he would have been a sports, a sports center host. He's like, and then God did this. And then he did this. And then he healed him. And then he healed him. And then he said that. And then he healed. And, and it's, it's pretty extraordinary. But one of the, one of my favorite, I'll just, one of them, one, and then we'll be done. Reggie, you're going to have to come up soon because I'm getting excited and we're going to go. So, so, uh, in Mark chapter 10, um, Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, I'll turn there real quick. I promise. So just an example of, of what it looks like to seek after God. It says, and they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho, his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, oh, side note. Well, no, I'll do that in a minute. Um, <laughs> Bartimaeus, a blind beggar in the sign of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that Jesus is neither, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. How do you seek if you're blind? You just cry out and listen. And as, as he's crying out for God, as he's seeking after God and saying, God, I can't see anything, but you're going to have to come to me and I'm going to use my other senses to know if you're there. And people are like, cut it out. He's important. He doesn't have time for you. You're screwed up. You're blind because you're a sinner. And he continued to cry out all the more. So what I want to tell you is if you start to see God and people are like, don't waste your time with that. Don't waste your energy with that. Don't give your money to that. Don't put your trust in that. Don't put your faith in that. As people tell that to sign, you need to seek out all the more. Don't let it be like, oh, well, I guess you're right. I, I did mess up. I did, I did, I did do that thing. I did have that relationship. I did do those drugs. I do have that pattern in my life. I am depressed. I'm just a mess. Or you can cry out and seek out all the more like Bartimaeus. And, and he said, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man. That changed real quick, right? They're like, this guy's an idiot, Jesus. And he's like, call him. And they're like, oh, right, right, right. <laughs> like, well, you're right. Yeah, that's what we were. That's we, we were testing you, Jesus. Just, just checking on your heart. And Jesus stopped and then went and he said, he's calling you. And he took off his cloak. He sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? To a blind man. If it wasn't obvious to everybody in the room, everybody just needed to hear it. What do you want me to do for you? He said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. 
and immediately recovered his sight and followed him on the way. He was healed. Because when Jesus is the one you're seeking after, when he's the one that you're in pursuit of, when he's the one that you can't stop, won't stop chasing after. Change the sermon title? No, because I like my job. (laughs) If he's the one, when you draw near to him, everything changes. What's dead comes alive. And sometimes what's really alive is going to die. Those thoughts of accusation those thoughts of self-hatred and unforgiveness. Those patterns that you've been bound up in but you can't get out of. You get part way back out and you slide back in. Everything changes when he's the one you seek because he's the one who brings all the change. Now what's, uh, what I was going to say about Bartimaeus is it says Jesus heals blind, Bart- blind Bartimaeus. But I think it's so funny that we call him blind Bartimaeus. <laughs> He's not blind anymore, y'all. He's not blind Bartimaeus, but we call him blind Bartimaeus. I'm glad I'm not known as foolish David or addicted David anymore. You, you don't have to be broken marriage Sam. You don't have to be depressed, depressed Donna. (laughs) I was looking for alliteration so you'd know it was anointed. (laughs) The the past stuff doesn't have to define you. To Jesus, he's only Bartimaeus who sees and Bartimaeus who followed. So he sought after God and when, when, when he found God, he just kept seeking and doubled down on that commitment, left the spot to chase after Jesus. And that's the invitation that we have today. So just what's next? Whatever faith you have this morning, use it. Use it all up. Pour it out. If all you've got is faith to ask for faith, use that faith to ask for faith and your faith is doubled. Cry out to God. If all you have is, is, is faith to open up your Bible, just to crack it open, crack open the Bible, start reading and see if it doesn't double and triple and your faith increases. And then all of a sudden, you'll turn around and you'll start having faith for the things that you used to be trapped in. You'll have faith in the places that you had fear. So whatever, whatever small amount of faith you think you have, use it all. And God will restore more. There was a kid on my soccer team this last spring. I was coaching. And, um, and I was like, but I know you can run faster than this. And he's like, I'm just saving my energy for after the game. <laughs> Smarter than I was as a kid. I never realized that was even like an option. And so I'm like, champ, I hear you. That, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> You're seven, and um, we're gonna give you we're gonna give you sugar after the game, and it'll give you energy again. So use all your energy, use it, use it all, and we'll sugar you up, and we'll make sure you've got energy after after the game. And I just I just feel uh, that same encouragement to us 
this morning, whatever, whatever little bit of faith that you have, go ahead and use it all up. Don't try and save your faith for, for later. Like, oh, I can't believe for my marriage because I might need it later for my finances. Or I can't use my, my faith for my financial situation because if I use my faith for my financial situation, I won't have faith later for something else. That's not how this, that's not how this works. Because faith comes from God and it's a gift from him, uh, it, it's, it, it has no end and he constantly fills as we're emptied out. And, and that's not really my last thought because I need to make sure that we understand one last thing. In these verses that I read today, it'd be easy to go, oh, believe in God, seek after God. And it's like this real ambiguous thing. But this is where context matters desperately because you learn in Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 12 that the, the God they're talking about is the God whose name is Jesus. They're talking about Elohim. They're talking about Yahweh. They're talking about the God who's above all gods. And so it's not, it's not that we can get this freedom and find this joy and find this happiness and experience transformation just by seeking out whatever, whatever form of God we create in our heart and mind. But it's found in Jesus and in Jesus alone because he's the one who makes it possible for us to enter into a relationship with the God who created all things and the God who has been, who is, and always will be. He is God and he rewards those who seek him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you today. And I ask that you would stir our hearts today, that the little bit of faith that we have, that you would multiply it and you would give us the courage to chase after you and that we would pour out the bit of faith that we've got so that you can do even more extraordinary things in us and through us than we ever thought possible, than we ever imagined to be possible. I ask that you would give us the kind of uh, commitment to you that becomes commendable, not just by the world, but to you, that you would look and say, that's what I'm looking for, my son. That's what I'm looking for, daughter. Thank you for chasing after me. I've got more for you. And God, I thank you that the reward is something that you've promised will happen and we don't have to doubt whether or not you're going to come through. Because when you rose from the dead, you were showing us that there's nothing that you can't do for us.